want to talk to you for a few moments today. Um, we are navigating some very, uh, very difficult times. Um, we are navigating a world that um, is that has been forever changed through the coronavirus. Um, I was saying to someone yesterday that probably, um, just like 9-11 with air travel, uh, those of you that used to fly before 9-11 and then you flew after 9-11, you kind of used 9-11 as the, the change point. And so, you know, you'd say flying after 9-11 or flying before 9-11. Um, I believe this virus, again, this is my own my opinion. I'm sure everyone has their own opinion, and I'm not saying I'm right. It's just my opinion. This is not a thus saith the Lord. But I believe that as time passes, we will see changes in our world because of the coronavirus that will never go back to the way they were before. I'm not saying that our world is never going to be the same, but I believe there's some things about our world that will uh, never go away. And we'll probably look back in 10 years and go, that was life pre-COVID and life post-COVID. If you go back to the pandemic of 1918 and the flu outbreak, you will see that the world changed in some ways, never went back in some ways to certain practices and things. So this has been a very difficult time, a very challenging time. And then when that is the case, and then over the last couple of weeks, you have um, put on top of that an even bigger, in some ways, uh, subject and in an even bigger circumstance with the death of George Floyd and the things that that has brought out in our world. We are navigating extremely difficult times. Um, and as a Church, as believers, as people of faith, um, as people that love God, that desire to be like Jesus, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. We believe in a higher standard. We, we desire to participate at a higher standard. We desire to, to engage in a different manner. Um, and that's awesome. That should be the way it is. We should be, um, we should desire to do that. We should desire to uh, be the hands and feet to demonstrate Christ in everything we do. We we do hold a higher standard of value. Our value and our core value is not based in this world, but our core value is based upon the Word of God, and our core values are based upon what He has taught us and how He has taught us to be. And so I know for a lot of you in the last couple of weeks, there has been a lot of desire, a lot of a lot of things that are beginning to surface and um, um, there there's a desire to 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 be a part and to help and to and and to stand for what uh, the Bible teaches and to stand up and be strong and 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 to, and to share and to uh, and to to stand on the side of of peace and love and justice and all of those things I understand all that um, but I want to talk to you for a few moments today about a principle from the Word of God that not only can help navigate today and what we're facing today, but should be the framework by which our entire life is built upon. Now, listen, I can easily come on here right now. A lot of you are going through a lot of things, and there's a lot of stuff happening in your life, and the Lord could have easily led me today to come on here and to uh, minister or to share with you um, something that would lift up your spirits and make you feel great and yay. And, and that's awesome. Nothing wrong with that. Um, what's wrong? We having technical difficulties? Huh? Oh, yes. The lights are on. Um, and so it could easily have done that today and easily could have... Um, shared those thoughts with you today and helped you where you are. But understand that sometimes, let's just be 
Frank here. Let's just, let's just, it's you and I talking, right? I can't see you, but you can see me. So I'm just going to pretend that you are, it's, you are that camera. Hello, Canon. Maybe your name is Canon. You are that camera today. And let's be open. Let, let's just, let's just talk the way it is. To get, to make it past this problem really only opens the door for another problem to take its place. See, that's the problem and that's the, that's the issue, one of the core issues that a lot of Christians and believers have, and one of the core, one of the core things that erode a true relationship with Jesus Christ, and people don't understand, and they don't get, and they struggle with, and that is that God's not here to make your life perfect. God never promised a life to be perfect, and that's sort of the the issue, and that's sort of the thing that a lot of people have assumed that if you have God, therefore everything should be perfect. He should make your life perfect. If you're not living in a utopic world where all things are perfect and somehow God is failing or you're failing God, and if you can't figure out what you've done wrong to correct it or you can't figure out how to get God to love you or to bless you, until you figure that out, you're going to suffer. But once you find the magic ingredient, the secret sauce, suddenly, boom, you're going to have rainbows and unicorns and perfection. And that's simply not the case. Um, if you look at the lives of the apostles, the ones that followed in the footsteps of Jesus, we know the life of Christ, right? We know that he suffered. We know that he died. We know that he he was, we know he went through difficulties. But the men who followed after him, his disciples, if you read their lives, they did not live. They didn't. They did not live a life of uh, a luxury. They didn't live a life of uh, of pleasure and just everything was great. And let's go down to the coast of uh, the Mediterranean and hang out on the beach and 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 sip our little drinks while we lounge on the chair all day because that's our beautiful life. Paul described his life, and it was it was horrible. Nobody want nobody here is volunteering to live Paul's life. Because, man, I mean, the dude was stoned to death, beaten to death, imprisoned, um, starving, hungry, cold, left naked, everything and above. And so to understand that if, if we get in that, and I'm, I'm trying to make a point here to kind of lay the foundation for where I'm going here in just a moment. But if you or I fall into the trap or fall into this cycle of trying to just simply Get God to make life better. God, you see what I'm going through? Fix this. God, you see that I'm hurting? Heal me. God, you see that this is wrong? Make it right. You see all... And then when he doesn't do it, we go, okay, God, do you not love me? Do you not care about me? Or, what have I done wrong? What, what have I done wrong? What's wrong with me? What can I do to fix it? And so we get in this cycle, and once you get down that spiral, it all erodes, and then you get into the whole big question if, God is so good, then why does he allow so much bad? If God loves, then why does he allow hate? If God is this loving God, then why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? And once you cross over that that bridge and you start questioning his nature, then you start finding that there becomes a separation between you and God. And next thing you know, you kind of come to the idea, what's the point? Um, there was a big stir not too long ago in the media I don't know personally the band. I'm not familiar with their music. But there was a big stir uh, in the Christian community, music community, because there was a band whose lead singer came out and acknowledged that he didn't believe in God anymore. And uh, he wrote a very long post. I happened to read the post. And if you read it carefully, he doesn't expressly believe he is an atheist. Um, he didn't say that, but he was wrestling with some very deep questions that I think all of us have wrestled with at times. God, if you are supposed to be so good, then why is there bad? Why do bad things happen to good people? All these things that we wrestle, why is the Old Testament this so bloody and why is this happening? Why did God allow this happen? And so this wrestling with that and, and, and forcing that, and if we're not careful, we take that and we we pull that out, even for us who walk with Jesus every day, that it's Sunday morning. Come on, you know, get on here and you got to have somebody tell me how to make my life better. Come on, come on, uh, Pastor Joel, tell me what I can do to make my life better. How can I make my, my wife better, my husband better, my kids better? How can I live my life better now? So uh, it would be easy. I mean, come on, this is, a, this is prime territory to give a rah-rah, 
we're going to make it type message to you today that, you know, come on, God's got this. We're, we're going to make it through this. And no matter what we face, we serve a God that's bigger than anything that he's on the throne. And all that's true. And I'm not making fun of that at all. But the reality of the situation is, is that sometimes inspiration can mask revelation. Inspiration can leave our emotions touched but our heart unchanged. Inspiration can leave us clapping our hands but leave our behavior the same. So today I haven't come to inspire you. Maybe what is said will inspire you, but I haven't come today to inspire you to say, you're going to be great. You go do great things. This is awesome. You get strap your bootstraps up. You grab this thing by the neck and you look at your problem in the eye and you say, problem, you will not defeat me today. I haven't come to say that today. I don't have that today. God hasn't given me that today. So I come with a very simple principle that I believe can help not only navigate where we are today, but if you would apply this in your life, it will help you and change your world forever. Not only will it change your relationship with God first and foremost, but it will change your connection with the world around you and how God will use you and flow through you to affect the world around us. And right now, I'm so thankful because it seems like so many people are wanting to be a a force of positive change. I love it. It's awesome. Everybody wants to know, not everybody, I won't, I won't say that because it's not everybody, but a large portion of people, can't say everybody because that's not true, a large portion of people want to be a, a positive agent of change. And so uh, that's awesome. But we need to be understanding of the principles of the Word of God. And so today I want to share with you that. I want to read to you a passage of scripture to start off with, and then we're going to skip forward to a story that probably you won't see how they're connected, but with the help of the Lord, we're going to show you how they're connected, and then we'll come back to uh, the passage I'm about to read, and we'll tie them all up, and you can see sort of what God's trying to say. Luke chapter 11 Verse number one. Now, Luke chapter 11, verse number one, we're going to read it, and it's going to have a passage here to start off with uh, that is very familiar with us because Luke 11 uh, will give us one of the versions. There's other. There's another in uh, Matthew. Uh, give us another version of the Lord's Prayer, or what is called the Lord's Prayer. Um, but we're going to use Luke because Luke pairs up his uh, recalling of the Lord's Prayer with another uh, additional thought on the matter. And again, one thing to keep in mind, some of you know this, some of you don't, when you're reading the Bible, um, the Bible was not written with the verses and the chapters put in it. Um, when Luke was re writing his gospel, he didn't say, okay, sentence number one, sentence number two. He wrote it, and then later on as we got the got the Bibles that we use and read from today, for reference sake, they put the, the little chapter and the little um, uh, numbers for the verses to help you and I reference uh, where to turn to in our Bible for um, study's sake. So I want you to see in Luke chapter 11, there is this stream of thought that often we separate them into uh, multiple different layers, but it's all one continual thought in Luke's um, version uh, in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 11, verse number 1, and I'll, I'll read here. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. If you choose to follow along, I encourage you to do so. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And I want you to stop right here because I want you to notice something here. The disciples never asked Jesus to teach them how to do miracles. They never asked Jesus how uh, to teach them to raise the dead, to turn water into wine, to turn fish into a feast. They never taught them that. They never, never asked, how do you teach us how to walk on water? The one thing they asked Jesus to do 
was teach them how to pray. And so they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Now, again, not to get into this, because that's not the point of today. I'm not talking about the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus, when you read and study this out, he wasn't saying to repeat these words and these words only. He was showing us a pattern of prayer, not a specific ritual that we quote every day, but a pattern by which we are to follow and apply in our life. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. Notice that again, day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, most of the time we read that, we stop, we put that off to the side, we talk about it, and then if we ever come back, we kind of move that over and then we pick it up from there. But if you read through that, you notice that this was a continuation. It wasn't a separation, but a continuation. Now, watch what happens. He's, he ends this and he says, uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he comes back and he says, and he said unto them. Now this seems like a weird transition, but if you look at it as we look at it here in a few minutes, you'll see that wasn't a weird transition at all, but it was something uh, uh, Jesus was giving us the principle. He was showing us the need, and then he gives us how their principles to be applied. And that's the beauty about uh, the word of God. And so he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, leave, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and have nothing to say, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give it to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because of his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. He's not done yet. That's not the end of that. So he keeps going. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he, and he who seeks finds and him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer a scorpion? If you, you, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, granted, you can look at each one of those separately and you can pull principles out of each one of those separately. And as a minister, as a preacher now for 20 Years, over 20 years, I have preached, taught, spoken from these verses separately. Um, I mean, I, what we just read there about, you know, how much more of the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask, you know, that are children. But I've talked about that, preached about that, I quote it. Yes, it's nothing wrong with separating these, but there's something powerful when you put all these three together. Now, let's take that for a moment. Luke 11, 1 through 13. Let's take Luke 11, 1 through 13. Let's put it over here to the side for a moment. Kind of put it off to the side. Now let's come to something else. Acts chapter 3. Um, we begin to see the power of God demonstrated through the ministry of the uh, early disciples um, uh, in, in Jerusalem. Just to kind of give you a little breakdown, last Sunday we actually celebrated uh, Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday was the day on which the Holy Spirit was first poured out in the book of Acts in the upper room. And they received the Holy Spirit and began to speak with a new tongue. That's in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through verse 30, uh, 40, 42, if you want to call it that, 41. Um, but if you read deeper, you'll understand that it gave us a pattern here. And it said that after that moment, the church continued steadfastly in the doctrine, in prayer, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread. 
that it wasn't just the end, but it was the start. And so chapter 3, we pick up the story of how that these men who had experienced the life, death, and uh, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and now have experienced the infilling of the Spirit of God in their life, now we're seeing how they um, continued living that out. There was a custom at that time, as a Jew, you went to the temple every day to pray. It was an everyday occurrence. Every day you went to the temple. That was the custom of the Jews at the time that they continued. And even though uh, they became uh, followers of Jesus Christ, they still, because Jesus Christ was uh, Jehovah, God made flesh, uh, they continue that practice. Now the problem with that is, some have taken that to say, well, shouldn't we go to the temple every day? But if you look deeply into other parts as the gospel spread, we don't see that same practice followed by the church at Ephesus, Corinth, uh, Galatia, Thessalonica, Philippi. But in the Jerusalem church, because the original uh, believers that had received the Holy Ghost on the, on the um, upper room, they were uh, Jews. And so they were going to the temple every day. It's a long way to say they were going every day. Sorry for that. I get sometimes caught up in trying to share with you the context that I forget the simple point, they were going every day. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 that there was a lame man that uh, at the time was over 40 years old. And uh, he was, he sat at the gate of the temple. This gate was called Beautiful. Kind of be ironic that the beggars hung out at the gate that was called Beautiful. Now, there's some things about the story that we don't know. There's some um, um, details that are left out. And so we are left only to speculate and understanding that when we speculate, we are only giving our opinion. We cannot say speculation is the word of God. But I think if you read in the lines, you'll see that there's some of this speculation that I believe has some factual foundation to it. This guy is sitting at this gate, and in the description given to us in the book of Acts, it makes the statement, he has come every day, every day. I want you to get that word, every day. Every day. It was specific in that. Go read it, Acts chapter 3, uh, you'll see. Every day. So I want you to get this mentality in your mind. He is a beggar. He is now in his early 40s. He has been um, in this condition uh, his whole life, and he's now sitting here, and more than likely, based off how long people lived there in that time, especially someone in his physical condition, uh, he probably um, had moved up the pecking order um, on the food chain as far as his position in the begging line. Um you didn't want to be the first, but you didn't want to be the last. You didn't want some. You don't want to be the first because you don't want to be the first person people come in contact with, because you don't want to be the first one asking for money, but you don't want to be last in line because you don't want them to give their money away to everybody in front of you. So you 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 gotta you gotta position yourself at the right place. And knowing that he's doing this every day, more than likely he had a tested formula. I don't know which part that put him in the line, but I'm sure that. He had put himself in a position where he had postured himself in the right spot to be able to be close enough when people walked by that they could drop their alms into the basket or into his cup um, and uh, move on. But he wasn't the first in line because you didn't want to be the guy that annoyed everyone. So I'm sure at his age and his experience in a life of begging, that uh, he had gotten accustomed to exactly where it needed to be. And at this time, it was just another day for him, like every other day. And on this particular day that the book of Acts tells us in Acts chapter 3, there's something unique takes place because on this particular day, we find that um, Peter and John are walking to the temple, which was their practice like it was every day, um, Peter and John are walking to the temple. 
Now, I want you to notice something. Don't forget Luke 11. We're going to come back to that. Notice this. This wasn't their first trip into the temple. And if you look at the topography and the layout of the temple and understand where the gate beautiful was in relation to Jerusalem, you know that this wasn't the first time they had come through this gate. How old Peter and John were at the time, we don't know. Most guess they were somewhere in their potentially late teens, early 20s. Who knows? But this wasn't their first rodeo. Let's just put it that way. This wasn't their first time in this gate. And more than likely, because this guy came every day, this wasn't the first time they had seen this guy. But on this particular occasion, the story goes that this man is in his normal posture, presumably head down, cup lifted, asking and requesting for pity, for alms, for someone to stop on their way to the temple, to stop for a moment and to put something in his cup that would help him get through the day. But on this occasion, Peter and John happened to stop right in front of him. And they began to address him. And they said to him, Sir, silver and gold have we none. And they asked, look on us. Lift your head up. Look on us. Look at us. Now, let's take for a moment here, and, and, and I'm getting a little off the subject, but this is the kind of the way I like to look at Scripture because I like to kind of try to get in the mind of somebody. So you got to imagine this guy's there every day, right? Here he is every day, head down, cup lifted every day. Suddenly you hear the, the, he wasn't blind, so obviously he could see what was going on. He sees... Four feet stop in front of him. Two sets of feet stop in front of him and turn his direction. And maybe his first initial reaction was, okay, great. Somebody's going to put something in my cup today so I can at least make it through today. And then he hears this voice that says, sir, look on us. Silver and gold have we none. He lifts his head. And I imagine probably his first reaction was, oh, man, here we go. Because there was a practice at that time, and Jack Jesus addressed this to the Pharisees. Because there were times when the Pharisees gave that they boasted of their good deeds. When they gave, they boasted of it. Hey, everybody, I'm about to give this guy some money because I'm a good guy. That brings me to another point. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Ooh, I'm going to feel it right now. You know when you're about to say something that's going to get you in trouble, you can feel it. And I feel it right now. For those of you that do good things to others, that's awesome. We need to do that. But when you feel the need to have to take your good deed and then post that on Facebook for the world to see how good the deed was, ooh, we need to pray about that. I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna make it. Dis- I'm not gonna throw that out there. I'm just gonna say. Uh, you need to go back and read some some Bible. I'm not sure Jesus would have used Facebook and Instagram to the same manner as we did. Can you imagine? Come on. I mean, come on. It's just, let's just call it what it is. Can you imagine Jesus taking a selfie with the blind man he just healed? Hey, dude, smile. Hashtag eyes open. Hashtag ministries. Hashtag Mud bath. I mean, what would have happened? Do you think Jesus would have done that? Do you think Jesus would have said, hey, 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 dude, stop, Peter, stop. Let me get a picture of this. Hashtag fish feast. Hashtag feast time. Hashtag blessing. Would he have done that? No, I don't think Jesus would have done that. I mean, Jesus, would he have, would he have videoed himself walking on water? Y'all watch this. I'm about to get Peter to walk on water. I don't think you would have done that. Can we just maybe stop sometimes and just do kind kind deeds and good deeds to others because we want to be kind and do good to others, not so that we can boost our page and get thumbs up and likes. 
Just think about it, okay? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying it's sin. I'm not trying to get somebody on me. Oh, you don't like social media. I'm not. I'm on social media right now. Hello? All our Facebook and YouTube people. I'm not saying it's wrong, but come on, just, just, just work with me here. If you're going to do something, do you need to tell the world? Because if you tell the world, then the question that I have and maybe you need to have is what's your motive? What's your motive? I saw a guy recently. I don't know him. He may be a phenomenal guy. But he videoed this entire... He videoed. He, not someone else. He videoed himself feeding some homeless guys on the street. I thought the act he did was extremely gracious, extremely kind. I mean, he gave these guys food and, I mean, it was awesome. These guys were extremely touched. But I didn't understand the need to video what he was doing. And so... Maybe when the when he looked up and lifted his head, maybe he was expecting Peter and John to, you know, hashtag this. Hey, everybody, on uh, we're going Facebook Live because we got this guy here. But today we're going to give him some stuff he don't even expect. So y'all need to watch this. Watch what's about to happen. So maybe when he lifted his eyes, he's expecting Peter and John to, to say, hey, everybody, stop what you're doing. We're about to give this guy something good. But they didn't do that. In fact, they said something really unique. He said, silver and gold have we none. But such as we have, do we give to you? And maybe in that split second, he's taken aback like, okay, what does this mean? And the scripture says that Peter reached down and grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up. And when he stood up, strength came to his legs. And God restored him to health. And he walked, rejoiced, began to give God praise. What a phenomenal story. I love that. I love that story. That particular miracle in the Bible. Uh, I've used it many times in ministering and speaking on many different ways. But today I want to use that. Don't forget Luke chapter eleven. We're coming back to that. We haven't left Luke. But I want to ask the question: Why that day? Why? Because the Bible says he was there every day. And Peter and John. That wasn't their first time into the temple. That wasn't their first trip into the temple of Jerusalem. They had been going there probably on a regular basis for years. But why that day? Why did that day, did he, why did Peter and John stop on that day? Why did they stop on that particular day and address this man? Well, some would say maybe because they were so busy with their lives that, you know, they happened to just notice him that day. I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Because you gotta imagine that these guys were competing for the resources of the people going into the temple. Don't forget, I mean, come on, these people going into the temple, they were human beings too. They wanted to give on the way in because they wanted one last good deed done so they could get on God's good side. So when they went and prayed, they could say, God, look how good I am because you don't know. You look, you didn't just see what I just did. Look, God, I just, I just gave somebody something good. So you know I'm a good person. Just forget the last... You know, what else I've done, but look at the good thing I did. So there, that was a common practice. In fact, Jesus hammered the Pharisees on that very same thing. So saying all that, meaning that these guys would stand out there and probably more than likely they would not be quiet. It wasn't... I imagine there were yelling and calling out and one trying to be louder than the other and one saying it differently than the other. Maybe one was... Alms, and one was alms, and one was singing it. I don't know what they were doing, but they were all vying to get a piece of the pie. So can't tell me this was the first time Peter and John had noticed the beggars, and more than likely, could not have been the first time they noticed this guy. This guy. And why that day? Why that time? Was it just because they noticed? I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that at all. In fact... I'm going to take you to another story. Again, we're going back to Luke 11 here in a minute. We'll take you another story. John chapter 5, Jesus shows up at this sort of outdoor hospital hangout for the infirmed. It was by the pool, and this pool had a very unique quality because every once in a while, an angel would come down, trouble the water, and the first person in the water would be healed. So this pool was surrounded by a bunch of people who were who were halt, were lame, were broken, who couldn't uh, 
Um, you know, they just a bunch of people that were messed up. They were surrounding this pool, waiting for the moment the water was troubled. They could all vie to be the first one in the water and be healed. But on that particular day, Jesus walks into this very crowded area and walks up to one guy, one guy, and asks that guy, do you want to be healed? Why not everybody? I mean, come on, Jesus knows everybody. He knows their condition. He knows where they are. He knows what they're going through. Everybody there, there were times that the Bible says he just healed them all. But on that day, John chapter 5, he walks up to one guy, one person, and looks at them and says, do you want to be healed? On that day. In the book of Acts, we find that Peter and John did not address all the beggars, but addressed that guy on that particular day after passing him, presumably, every other day up to that point. But why that day? What, what are we missing here? What, 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 what is the principle behind all this? I believe it's something actually very simple. But something simple does not always mean easy. I believe it was this. That going back to Luke chapter 11, they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. In that prayer, Jesus began to list some things that should be done every day. The kingdom would come. The will of God would be done. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. Today. And so we put that out. We go a little farther and we find in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Ghost has been poured out and the church, the New Testament church has been uh, brought to pass in the earth, that we find that there was a description of the apostles that said that they continued steadfastly in the doctrine and in uh, breaking of bread and fellowship, but more importantly in prayer. Meaning that they were spending every day of their life connected to Jesus Christ. That they were spending everything, every time in their life connected to what God was doing. In fact, we go back to that same um, chapter, John chapter 5, where Jesus is approaching the man at the pool of uh, Bethesda. And uh, he even further... Um, gives us a greater understanding of this whole uh, concept, this whole principle, because after this miracle had taken um, place um, and Jesus sort of had had um, uh, uh, healed this guy, and it caused an issue because they were struggling um, with this back and can you heal on the Sabbath and this whole back and forth that was taking place because Jesus dealt with this one man that later on in that same chapter, chapter 5, beginning with verse 19, Jesus said to them, Most surely I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. And whatever He see, whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does, and He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. Notice that this is a principle that we're beginning to see take place. And why did Jesus walk up to that particular guy? Why did Peter and John stop on that particular day? Why not heal everybody? Why, why wouldn't God want everybody healed? Because ultimately, they were in connection with Jesus every day. So on that day, Jesus told them that was the guy. That was the day. You see, the problem is... We all have big hearts. We all desire to help. We all desire to to uh, uh, do our part, especially in a time like this, right? We want to we want to jump in. We want to be a part. We want to we want to help. But here's the danger in that: when you take on a burden and you do your your burden and you do it out of the maybe even out of the good intentions of your heart, and you separate yourself from following Jesus Christ, you are doing it in your own strength, and therefore your results will be what they are. You will do things out of good intention and make people, and, and actually hurt people. You will do things trying to help many and not help any. But if you would become someone whose simple focus is this, whatever I see the Father 
stew, I do whatever I hear the Father say, I say. And that that's not something that should happen on Sunday morning. What well, Sunday? I gotta become I gotta get I gotta get in connection with the Father. Okay, Father, what do you want me to do today? But every day that should be the prayer that you start off with. Lord, I submit myself to you today that your will would be done in my life and that your will would be done through my life. And whatever I do today, whatever I say today, would be in your will and in your timing. To whomever it might be. Because the problem is, who do you stop and touch? I mean, come on, who do you stop and talk to? Who do you stop? There's hurting people everywhere. Does that mean we start and talk and listen? I mean, uh, minister to everybody? No, we listen to those, we talk to those who God specifically leads us to. You say, well, I can't do that. That's, that's so hard. That proves you're not in fellowship with the Father every day. That proves you're living a life of religion and not a life of relationship. Because you see, when you live a life of relationship, it's easy to know what the Father's doing and hear what the Father's saying. But if you're practicing a religion, religion wants to tell you, you go do you. I'm not telling you that today. I'm not telling you go get a sign and go join in today with a protest and do what, do, you know, be a part of that. That's what you need to do. That Whatever you do, that's between you and God. But if it's not directed by God, it's not blessed by Him. No matter what the good intentions are. Because you've got to do what He tells you to do when He tells you to do it. I read a story and I was fascinated by this story. There was a man who... Um, been walking with Jesus for a period of time and he desired, like we're talking about, that every day he would um, be led of God in everything that he did. In fact, he, kind of like I just described, would start off his day um, by uh, giving his day to God, saying, God, whatever you want me to do today, that's what I want to do. I want to be submitted to you. And I don't know specifically what he prayed, but I... The generalness of that, he wanted, to, he wanted to follow God in everything he did for that day. One morning he got up, he was a little late for work. He had gotten dressed, uh, put his clothes on, rushed out the door, grabbed whatever uh, he needed for that day, got in his car, was heading out his neighborhood. When he got to the, to the, to the turn to go right towards the highway uh, where it would take him to his job, he felt a nudge from God to say, turn left. So he turned left. That's mistake number one. Most of us mean because we're like, but God, I got to go to work. God, I got bills to pay. God, I got that. God, does God not know you have bills to pay? Does God not know you have a job, work? He Does he not know all that? Does he not go up there and go, oh my goodness, my people have stuff. My people have bills. My people have a mortgage. My people have a car payment. They need gas. I don't know what to do. No, he doesn't do that. So because this guy was walking with Jesus and had a relationship with Jesus, he felt the nudge of the Spirit of God turn left, so he turned left. He drove a little far. He was driving down some roads uh, and began to just continue. He didn't know where he was going. He was just, God said turn left. He didn't know where else. So he was just driving down the road. A few miles down the road, he felt urged by God to go right. Turn right. Followed that down for a little while. Finally, he came to a convenience store. I, don't, I believe it was a 7-Eleven, but I don't know what it was. I don't remember that part of the story, and so I don't want to speculate what it was, but it was a convenience store. He pulled into the, 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 um, the, uh, uh, um, the, the parking lot of the convenience store, got out of his car, walked in, and... Without realizing what he was doing, not really paying attention to the people that were watching him, he goes in the convenience store and goes over to the kind of the corner near the checkout. And as funny as this sounds, this is, I, I, it, I can only take the story at face value. He goes over to the corner and he, he does a handstand in the corner. He literally puts his hands down, flips up for just a brief moment, Flops back down, stands back up, turns around, looks at the, the 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 young lady behind the counter that's standing there looking at him, and I guess expecting her to go, what are you doing? When he looked at her, her eyes filled with tears. She burst out crying and just began to weep. Everyone had kind of scattered at that point because they don't, I mean, imagine that scene. you got some dude over here in the corner doing a handstand and some girl crying you don't know what's about to go down, so apparently they must have scattered. It was just 
at the moment, the girl crying and, hit, and the guy standing there going, I don't know what just happened. For a few moments it took her to get her composure enough to speak. She finally was able to muster up some words enough to be able to speak and she said to him, she said, you don't know what just happened. And he said, I don't know why I did that either. She gave a list of things she was dealing with in her life and some things she was dealing with and some stuff that was happening to her and some things that she was, some, some abuse she was going through and she was in a, in a, and at the time she was being very abused and she was being very misused and she was dealing with a lot of that stuff and, um, and, and, and that morning on her way to work she said to God, God, if you really do care about me and you really do love me, have somebody come in this morning and do a handstand because that's the only way I'll, you'll be able to prove to me that you love me and that you really care and you haven't left me even though all this bad stuff has happened to me. I want somebody to come in and do a handstand to prove. Lo and behold, there he came in, walked over the corner, did a handstand, and that girl's life was changed forever. I'll never forget, personally, years ago, I was ministering in Hawaii. In fact, uh, Shane and Trish Bailey, who are one of our life group leaders, they're watching today. They can testify to a lot of the details of the story. Um, that well, I was there ministering, and on the Sunday morning, they had multiple uh, locations. So um, Shane and Trish went to one location, and I went to another location. And I was ministering there, and it was at this community center inside this neighborhood. Some of you have heard me tell this story, and I'm not going to tell all of it today. Keep it brief. But in this, in this area was a, what, what, I was ministering on God, caring about you and wanting to heal you and help you and, get, and, and, and bring wholeness back to your heart. And in that course of that, there was a big Hawaiian Samoan guy there. In the middle of me speaking, he got just visibly upset, walked to the back. Uh, at the end, there were many people that responded to God, and God was doing many, many miracles that day in people's hearts. And I noticed that in the back, he was very visibly upset. Um, and I felt compelled to go back to him and just talk to him for a moment. I felt led... Feel like God was speaking to me to go back and talk to him, and I went back and said, "Listen, hey, um, uh, are you okay?" I said, I, "I hopefully nothing I said upset upset you today. I was trying to just uh, share with you what what God was giving to me, and I could tell that that wasn't the problem. That something was happening inside of him that was creating him was causing this visible emotional response. And in the process, I'm watching this guy, and I. I make the statement, I'm helping, I'm trying to share with him what God, now it wasn't Joel Wright talking at that point, I was just trying to be a Peter and John, I was trying to obey God. And um, I said to him, I said, you know what God's going to do to you today? All the pain you're carrying in your life, God's going to take it. And I looked up, and there was a, there was a way off in the distance, I don't know, several hundred yards off in the distance, there was a little small cemetery maybe 50 headstones popping out of the ground. There may have been more, but I can only see the ones hitting out of the ground. I looked out there and I said, you see that? That right there, God wants to take all of your pain. He's going to bury it in that grave and you'll never have to deal with it again. When I said that, this guy literally, it was like I punched him in the stomach. He, big, burly guy, went, oh! And, he, and I'm like, I kind of panicked because I thought, what in the world have I done? I just, you know, caused this guy to have a heart attack. But I could really feel that God was ministering to him, and I prayed with him, and it was, you could feel the love of Jesus Christ, and it was, what an amazing moment. It was awesome. And so I, he was still kind of there in this sort of emotional moment, God's touching and healing him, and so I kind of walked away, and I went and prayed with some other people. After it was all said and done, the pastor came up to me. His eyes are like this big, big, huge eyes. And he goes, do you know what just happened? And I don't know how you are, but, you know, 
I always assume I'm doing something wrong. Probably help me, the Lord will help me with that. But I was like, oh, God, what have I done? I didn't say that to him, but I'm thinking that in my head. I'm like, oh, great. What a, who do I know I did something? He's like, you know what? Do you know what just happened? Big eyes. I'm like, uh, I have no idea, but enlighten me because I'm probably, you know, I'm always kind of doing something I shouldn't be doing or saying something I shouldn't be saying. He said, you know that guy that back there in the back that you went and talked to? I was like, yeah. He goes, do you, do you remember what you said to him? I said, well, not word for word, but I do remember pointing to the to the to the graveyard back there and speaking that God was going to take his his hurt and pain and bury it in there. He goes, yeah, that part. He goes, you know what you you do you know what you were saying? Like I have no idea. He goes, this guy has dealt with abuse and hurt from an uncle that used to abuse him. And I won't go into what type of abuse. Most of you can figure that out. He was abusing him repeatedly. He would come to that very neighborhood that we were in as a child on the weekends or whenever. And this uncle would abuse him. And it happened repeatedly. I don't know how long it happened. I didn't ask for details. I wasn't given details. But somewhere in that, eventually his uncle died. And guess where his uncle was buried? Come on, this I'm giving you, I'm setting you up. This is a cupcake answer. Yep, you're right. He was buried out in that cemetery. I didn't know that. I didn't know this guy. I didn't know his history. I didn't know any of this. I'm not sure how many people knew his uncle was buried out there. But he had a heavenly father that did. And because I was connected to the heavenly father, and whatever the father said, I said, whatever the father did, I did, I could stand on that day. That wasn't the first day he had come to that building. That wasn't the first day he had ever worshipped God from that spot. But on that day, God said, now is the time. Because I was in connection with him, I could speak with a boldness and confidence that God was going to do something in his life. And I didn't know what I was saying, but God knew exactly what needed to be said. How do we know Peter and John weren't just acting off emotion? Here's how we know what they were doing and why they were reacting. Because moments of sympathy don't produce extreme confidence. When you act out of sympathy, you don't act in confidence. But watch what happened in Acts chapter 3. The Bible says Peter and John, Peter reached out his hand and pulled that guy up. You don't do that unless you believe there's a miracle that's happening. And the reason why he could say with such boldness, Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have given to you, rise up and walk and pull him up, was because they weren't operating on their sympathy or their desire to just help the beggar. They were operating because God had led them to do so. You see, all of us want to help whatever situation. We all want to help. We want to go help this person. We want to help this cause. We want to stand up for this for this right. We want to stand up to help our fellow brother, our fellow sister. We want to stand up. But the problem with that is if you're standing up in your own strength, you're standing up with your own wisdom, your own, your own knowledge. But if you can walk in Him, God will never... Leave you empty-handed. He will always give you the right words to say, and he will always give you the right action. It may not minister to everybody, but it's going to minister to somebody. It may not heal every beggar, but that one beggar, life was changed. That one guy never, ever had to sit again at that gate because somebody was willing to say, God, whatever you want me to do today, that's what I want to do. We as Antioch West can't just go running around trying to change the world because the world needs changing. If we want to change the world, we got to do one thing. God, we're submitted to you. Whatever you want us to do today, great. Whatever you want us to say today, that's what we'll say. Nothing more, nothing left. If we don't do that and we take matters in our own hands, we will do more destruction than we do good. But, but, but you're telling me, Pastor, there's people that need help. No. Does God not know that? Does God not see the pain, the suffering, what's going on? Of course He does. But He needs a people that are willing to say, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say, that's what we're willing to do. Go back here for my last five minutes. Luke chapter 11. We just read it, remember? 
Our Father which art in heaven, all that stuff. But what happened after that? Jesus gives us this kind of weird story, kind of seemingly weird, right? This guy has this friend show up to his house that's been traveling and, 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 and he, 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 he doesn't have any food to give his friend. And so he goes over to his neighbor and he knocks on the door and says, Hey, neighbor, neighbor, I've got a friend that is here. He needs bread. And um, 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 do you have any bread? And this guy says, dude, chill out, man. You're going to wake my kids up. I just laid down. Leave me alone. You know, you're waking up my family. But the Bible says because of his persistence, he ended up giving the guy bread. But then Jesus follows that up with this, this series of comments. He says, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be given unto you. Um, and this whole back and forth. And 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 just to be for context sake, uh, I'll just read it again. Uh, he said, uh, "Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. And him who knocks it will be opened." Wow. We just got a blank check. So I'm going to start asking God. I need a, I'd like a Rolls Royce and a mansion and a trip to, to Tahiti. And I'd like some Louis and some Gucci. Come on. I'm asking God. Why aren't you listening to me? That wasn't what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying ask a blank check. Context. What was the context? The context was Luke 11 verse 1 began with teach us to pray. What is prayer? Prayer is communication with God. True prayer is not religion. True prayer is relationship. True prayer should start with me bringing myself into submission with him to his way and his his kingship in my life. I cannot partake partake in the kingdom without having a king. So they said, don't teach us how to do miracles. Don't teach us how to feed the hungry. Don't teach us how to stand up for the right. Just teach us to pray. And Jesus said, here's how you pray. Pray the kingdom come. Pray the will of God would be done. Pray that every day you get daily bread. Now, there's a lot of interpretations to that, and I think all of them are, have merit to them. But on this particular occasion, daily bread. What kind of bread? That, that, that daily bread. Get your own personal orders. Not the church's bread. Not the pastor's bread. But what's your bread for this day? Because freely have you received, freely give. Peter said, such as we have, give unto you. You know the problem is sometimes you don't have bread for yourself, so you don't have anything to give anybody else because you're not first putting yourself in connection with Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, give us this day of daily bread. But then he said, hey, there's going to be a time when you when you see a friend or a neighbor in need, you're out of bread. And you can go to your you can go to someone else. You can go on Facebook, you can go online, you you can you can Google now, man. You can Google what are the right words to say in a troubled time. And Google will tell you how to do it. You can go on Facebook. What did someone else say? Let me copy what they said. That's going to your neighbor's house and asking for bread. You can do that, but here's the problem. Then Jesus said this. Here's the context. Ask shall be given to you. Seek, you find, knock, it'll be given unto you. What's the context of that? The context of that goes back to the story about the guy needing something for his friend. When you are in a situation where you have got to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, you have got to ask, knock, and seek. What does Jesus want me to do and say? He said, if you do this, everybody who asks, seeks, and knocks, they'll find an open door. What door was he referring to? Well, the only door we know about was the door in the previous store where he knocked on his friend's door and his friend said, Go away! Get out! So if you knock on the door, there's no door. It's because you're knocking on the wrong door. So can I encourage you today? I'm I'm not giving you an inspirational word. It's probably not going to change your life as far as helping you through your problems. It's going to change your life on how to live connected to Jesus Christ and be an effective member of the body of Christ. How do I do that? Here's how you do that. You've got to get up every day and get a connection with the Father that you say, Father, I'm submitted to you. Not my will, but yours be done today. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom. Whatever you say to do today, that's what I'll do. Whatever you say for me to say, that's what I'll say. Because guess what? That means there are going to be days you're on your way to work Something you do all the time. You're going to pass that coworker that you've passed a thousand times. But on that day, God's going to say, tell her that I love her. Tell him 
that God sees what he's going through, you're going to say, well, God, you know, of all the days, why today? Because you don't realize that on their work, on their way to work that day, they were crying out to God before they got into the office. And they said, God, I need somebody to come along today to help me. The Ethiopian eunuch was on his way back home praying and said, he's reading the book of Isaiah and he says, I, I, I don't understand what I'm reading. And on the same time, God was speaking to Philip and God took Philip out of his world and put him right next to that Ethiopian eunuch and he gave him the interpretation of what was being said because Philip was in connection with God. How many Ethiopian eunuchs are there out there crying and saying, God, I need an answer, but there's a lot of Philips out there that are too busy in their own life or their own problem, their own difficulty. They can't hear the voice of God. How many beggars are sitting at the gate today and we're trying to bring them soup and trying to bring them food and trying to bring them money to help them in their problem? Here, have a coin today. Well, I'm a good person. I'm helping them with a coin. That's great. You're going to help them today, but because you're doing your own strength, that's all you're going to do. You're going to help them through today, but if you are walking with Jesus. I'm supposed to be teaching, not preaching, but come on, it gets exciting. When you're walking with Jesus, there's going to be a day that Jesus is going to say, now's the day. And you're going to look at that and say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given unto you. Today's the day God's going to change your life. Now, I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. I wouldn't just start going around today going, well, Pastor Joel said we can do this. You can start naming it and claiming it and blabbing it and grabbing it. Because you're going to come back to me and go, it doesn't work. Because again, God's not interested in boosting your reputation. He's not interested in you getting the glory. He's the one to get the glory. So whether he heals one or 5,000, it doesn't really matter. Whether he touches everybody or one body, it doesn't matter because it's not your reputation. It's his. It's not your glory. It's his glory. So can I challenge you today with this? Before you go running trying to change the world. Before you leave today and you're going to be the world changer. True problem is we're trying to be too much like Jesus that we forgot that first has to start by just knowing Jesus. How can you be like somebody you don't even know? Mm. We're too busy trying to be like somebody we don't know. We're trying to be like somebody we're not connected with. So we're all trying to, we're all fired up today to go around and tell everybody we want to be like Jesus, but we haven't even been connected to him. So I kind of challenge you today if you're going to be like him, you first got to know him and be connected to him. Because if you know him and you're connected with him, you're going to be like him as a byproduct, as a fruit of knowing him and being connected. But if you, if you just try to be like him, you will mimic his actions, but you will not be able to convey his feelings, his passion, and his burden. So you will be like a robot. You will be providing a service, but there will be not touching the hearts of lives of people. You'll just be providing a service. But if you are like him because you know him and you spend time with him, your actions will only be the fruit of what is happening on the inside as Christ flows through you. Father, you see all of us today. You are very aware of where we are. You're very aware of the challenges that we're all facing. You're very aware of the fact that we all have somewhat of a desire to be a part, help our world become a better place. But God... You are the one that died for this world. You died for every individual in this world. You know every single thing happening in this world. You see every pain. You see every injustice. You see every hurt. And Lord, I pray today that don't make us world changers. But God, bring us in connection with you. Because you're the world changer. We are not the world changer. You're the world changer. We are not the Savior. You're the Savior. So Lord... Help us to live our lives submitted to you. Help us to live our lives connected to you. Help us to live our lives in fellowship with you. Doing your will. Doing your plan. Doing your way in our lives. 
In the name of Jesus, every heart, every life that's watching today, that will watch today, give us the grace to follow you, to be submitted to you, to do what you want us to do, nothing more, nothing less, but just what you want us to do. If that means we go stand on our head in a convenience store, then God give us the grace to stand on our head and not worry about what others think. If that means that you want us to do whatever it takes to our own reputation, but that's what it takes to follow your will. Give us the grace to do that. Because I believe, God, there are people out there calling for help. There are people out there that are asking you to show them the way. And you're waiting for somebody to listen to your voice, to be your hands and your feet, to follow and do what you've called us to do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Folks, there are people out there today There's a a 7-Eleven clerk. There's a beggar. There's a man hanging out by a pool. There are people out there today that are calling out for help. It's not our job to save the world. It's our job to be in connection with Jesus. It's our job to, to have his grace, to walk in boldness and confidence, that whatever he says... We'll say whatever he does, we'll do. Nothing more, nothing less. Now today, when someone's crying out to say, God, I need to know if you're real. I need to know if you care. Send somebody to tell me. Send somebody that will tell me that you love me, that somebody watching this today would be willing to say, God, if you, if you, if you, if you speak, I will do. And God will nudge you today and say, hey, tell them. I heard their prayer. Tell them I love them. And you'll have the boldness and the faith and the grace to say to that person, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm telling you this. God wants you to know he heard your prayer and that he loves you. Lives can be changed. That's what it means not to go to church. This is what it means to be the church. Because what is the church? We're the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. But we cannot be the body of Christ if we're not connected to the head. He is our head. He is our king. He is our source. So I challenge you, be connected to the source today. Be submitted to the source today, but not just because it's Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day. Because there are people hanging out at the gate every day that need somebody to be in connection with Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Be together with us tonight, right at home. We're going to be hanging out again tonight. <coughs> 7.30 tonight. We're going to have to move the time around a little bit tonight. <coughs> 7.30 tonight, right at home. Man, come be with us. We are going to have a blast again tonight. Be with us. Love all of you. Praying for you. Be safe. Walk in boldness and confidence in Jesus' name because you're connected with him. Don't go be like Jesus. Be connected to Jesus. I pray all that in Jesus' name. God bless you.